This is an RNZ podcast. They say it takes a village to raise a child. I'm Catherine Ryan, and here we draw on my conversations with experts on Nine to Noon to help you navigate family life. Nathan Wallace, even teenagers do, don't they? They certainly need someone to love. Not necessarily going to tell you that, though. Parents, yeah, I thought that was a good lead-in. <laughs> parents of teenagers often wonder what has happened to their child's brain. They may be moody, not understanding, or appearing to care about consequences. They may struggle to maintain focus and may be very self-absorbed. Neuroscience educator and parenting expert Nathan Wallace says during adolescence, parts of the teenage brain are, quote, shut for renovations. He says understanding the changes that are taking place for the adolescent will help parents successfully navigate these important and formative years. Kia ora and welcome back, Nathan. Kia ora, Catherine. Let's do the basics. Let's okay. go back to what happens um, and when with the brain beginning, as you say, to go through such a transition that yep. bits just shut down. What age is it hitting? Well, I mean, in the literature, it can start as early as nine because things like body mass and even, um, you know, ethnicity come into it. Um, Māori tend to hit adolescence earlier than Europeans and Pacific Island tends to hit it even earlier than Māori. Um, like I say, the larger you are, the taller you are, the earlier you hit it. But it tends to be around that 13, 14 age. But pretty much, if you're living with the teenager, you know you what's it. happened. Yeah. You see, that's yeah. interesting because it's the physiological changes. And look, it is mm. a real challenge, actually. You might want to comment on it. Yeah. That children are going through, and they are children, you're nine, you're a child, going through yeah. puberty younger and younger. So the body's changing. But is the brain keeping in pace? Well, they are connected, so, yeah, and in lots of ways you could say it is keeping pace, but it's still, you know, a very short childhood and a lot of adult pressure at a very young age. So, you know, know, parents may be dealing with this stuff younger and younger and younger. That's just, you know, it's been a consistent trend, hasn't it? That's right. But, I mean, the good news is that it comes back way flasher after it's gone through this shut for renovations period. Like, um, it gets a lot of renovations done in that time, and it is normal. So, you know, everyone's going through it. I always think, don't judge who your kid's going to be as an adult by looking at them in the middle of adolescence, because being an adult's all about having a frontal cortex, so you don't look when it's shut for renovations and, and, and judge them. Who they were at, like, 11, typically, is much more who they're going to be as an adult. Hmm. Mm-hmm. What is the part of the brain that is going through this revolution? What sort of behaviours is it typically, or actions, is it responsible for? It's the very flash, clever part of our brain, the really human part, the frontal cortex, that does all of our higher functions, like empathy for other people. So we think of teenagers as being me, me, me. Um, It controls your emotions, so rates of suicide, depression, anxiety all skyrocket during adolescence because their ability to control emotions shuts for renovations. It's really that ability to regulate um, their behaviour and regulate their emotions, you know, focus their attention. All of that's up there in the frontal cortex, brain number four. And um, that just gets shut for renovations for three years to get all of this rewiring done if you like all this neurological pruning and you know lots of stuff goes on if they stayed open for business and the teenager kept you know focusing their attention and controlling their emotions and remembering their PE gear that amount of renovations would take 30 years so instead it's just shut for three years and they get the whole lot done in a shorter space of time if only Kiwi build could match right yeah <laughs> so it look it makes sense it's it's a heck of a lot of change so mm-hmm. what is the teenager typically experiencing are they often I mean the self-absorption is is interesting. Adolescent egocentrism is a term I remember from years back. Right, yep. it, it makes sense. It I've got to concentrate on me because so much is going on. And does yep. that mean it doesn't mean that you're necessarily being selfish? It's that you simply often won't see or yep. think about stuff that you will when you're older. 
Yeah, that's right. And it's not an absolute thing. I mean, it doesn't 100% shut down. You know, all language is in the frontal cortex. So if it's shut completely, then every teenager will lose the power of speech. And they don't. I mean, even if you've got a teenage son and you think that's happened, he still says, yeah, no, nah, don't know. So, it, so it's unfair to say the whole thing shuts down. But it's shut for renovations, say, 90% of the time. 10% of the time, your kid is an adult. You know, 10% of the time, they're just as good at controlling their emotions as you are and seeing things because that frontal cortex is shut 90% of the time, not all the time. So that 10% matters, that's your moment to seize. It is, really, because whichever part of the brain you sort of um, talk to, you're feeding and nurturing, so that's the part you really want to feed and nurture. When that 10% turns up, and suddenly your teenager seems like they've got their frontal cortex online and they're being all reasonable and considerate, then you really want to prioritise that and stop what you're doing and feed that part of the brain, have the conversation, because that's what's going to make adolescence be over quicker, is... Um, that and the opposite you don't want to so much get into all the fighting with teenagers and thinking you've got to win every battle and you know when you're arguing with the teenager um, you're essentially moving down into your own limbic systems and you know your own emotional brain so now you've got two 15 year olds <laughs> you know so that's not you know every good interaction involves at least one cortex so since theirs are sort of shut for renovations you want to try and make sure that yours stays online and not get into those fights so when you feel that red rag you know feel the blood pressure go up you feel that surge yep. mm. uh, what is it just deep breath just pause you need to say something sometimes don't you and, yeah, and well, you know, what are some of the strategies for diffusing you can do it with a bit of humour although sometimes that makes someone even more rapid but you know yep. do you need to make a holding statement sometimes and then just leave it be yeah, exactly that, I think. Um, I'm just thinking that a uh, bit of a hypocrite, really, because I'm not that good at it myself, you know. My 16-year-old would roll her eyes at me and that would really trigger me, you know. <laughs> like, I, it's, And then often it's out of your mouth before you've thought about it. So the strategies are just to learn to shut up, really. For, for me, it was. Um, and, yeah, like you say, say a holding statement and turn around and walk away. That's not the time to have a conversation when you've triggered your own, you know, uh, emotional system. But, but it does get easier. It's, yeah. it's hilarious, the eye roll, isn't it? It's like... And, yeah. Or that thing, like, every single thing you say, like, this has gone for a whole day. Yeah. <laughs> Everything you say is stupid or this or that. And, yeah. I mean, they are the classic, Lots classic of symbols, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. absolutely, yeah. yeah. So it's trying to avoid those. And when they are using their frontal cortex and they're talking, you don't get to choose what they're talking about. You know, every generation of teenagers wants to like things that their parents don't. You know, my grandmother didn't approve of Elvis Presley you know my mother didn't approve of video games like it's just what they do so if they want to talk about Kim Kardashian and Kanye West you might just have to suck it up and have that conversation if that's the only time they're going to use strategic thinking and planning and empathy for others don't worry about what they're talking about just as long as they're using those functions it's all good that's important because the temptation will be to say I've got a five minute window we yeah. have, there's engagement going on here. I'm going to bring up all my stuff. Yeah. Uh, but actually, you know, there will be a time when you need to bring up some stuff. You need a time when you bring up some stuff. But yep. actually just staying in their zone and just mm -hmm. having a moment of connection on their terms. Yeah, makes important. a huge, huge difference, that connection. And it's remembering that if 90% of the time they're in their emotional brain, then you really need to speak to those emotions and connection's really important. If you just go to problem solving all the time, and just, you know, as soon as they issue a problem or talk about a situation, you go straight into trying to fix it. It feels to the teenager like they haven't been listened to because you've gone straight to your frontal cortex, which is about problem solving, whereas 90% of their worldview is about emotion and the limbic system. So if you don't speak directly to that emotion, they really feel like they're not listened to. And if you've got kids that feel like they're not listened to, they're probably not going to listen to you. Kids do as you do.
Seizing your moment for something big you want to raise, though, again, um, if there is something that really needs to be discussed, is it going to be one of these times? And, yeah, okay, you're happy to talk about Kardashians today because you don't need to talk about anything else. But when you need to say, we've got to talk about what happened on Saturday, or we've got to set some rules for what's going to happen on Saturday, Again, are you scheduling, are you, are you seizing a moment for that or, or, or No, I think it's better for those sorts of things to give them warning. To be planned, yeah. Yeah, if that's predictable, that really calms the human stress response system. Anything that's sort of sprung on you or is novel information arouses that and that's exactly what the opposite to what we want to do with a teenager. Straight into defence mode. Yeah. So yeah, and choose a time because you know your teenager. I know my kids were most reasonable in that after school period between sort of four and five. So if you know that's when they're... Li- it wasn't a guarantee, but, you had know, they been that fed? was the most likely. Yeah, well, that's me. They got home from school. Some they had something them. to eat. Yep. They had the whole evening in front of them, um, and it just seemed to be a happier time for them. So if I was going to talk to them about something, I'd tell them, oh, when you come home from school tomorrow, you know, when you've had something to eat, um, let's sit at the kitchen table because I want to talk to you about da-da-da. Excellent. Yeah. And then they can steal on that if they want. They can certainly strategize, but they're not being surprised. That's and also right. they're not feeling like a moment they're having with you has been hijacked for a for a purpose. Yep. Yeah. And then it's about how you interact once you're there. Because if you just go straight into lecture mode, then it's just nagging and they tend to switch off. So it is again that validating their emotions, you know. Um, before you say any strategy, you should reflect back what their emotion was behind it. Oh, that sounds like a major angry or that sounds like a major happy. It doesn't. It's not complicated, but by doing that first, and you've spoken to their emotion, that calms that part of their brain, and then you've got way more access to the part of the brain that you want, that part that is, you know, got strategy and empathy for others and controlling emotion and all the good stuff. So it's remembering all the time. Ninety-nine percent of their brain at this time is feelings. Yeah, that's right. It is. That's okay. exactly right. Yeah. Now the emotional regulation stuff. It's still required in certain <laughs> circumstances. You don't yep. get a free mm-hmm. pass. So yeah. again, how do you approach the fact? We 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 all need. I can remember it. I mean, I can remember doing it. Like mm-hmm. like some demon just took over your head and you just screamed. And yep. certainly, um, all parents have experienced being on the other end of it. Mm-hmm. Um, how are you dealing with these outbursts? And um, is there, is it, does it get to a point where they are particularly problematic? They're not just to be ignored. You know, mm. when, when are you really in trouble with some of this emotional regulation stuff and or some of what follows it? Yeah, I think you're really in trouble when the child has actually crossed a line and is hurting somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, if they're actually just having a meltdown, then there's no need for a consequence or something for that. That's just them being overwhelmed by emotions. I would still do that thing where you reflect back their emotion immediately to them so that they feel listened to. But really, you want to defuse the situation. They're having an emotional, um, you know, outburst. That's not the time you're going to access their frontal cortex and do problem solving and stuff. So I would just focus on calming them down um, and then come back and revisit it, just like we talked about before. About, do oh, we, we need have to have a talk about how yeah. you do this. Because you want to teach them some strategies other than, you know, bursting into tears and collapsing on the floor. They've got so to how do we strategies. do that? Because say this is affecting schooling or say it's mm. affecting relationships um, yep. and, and it can become a vicious cycle where your behaviour mm. pushes people away yep. and then you behave worse. So mm. how can you have some of those converse- conversations? And again, when they are responding to f- very profound feelings, you mm. want to talk logically, but that's not necessarily what's going to register, or can it register in the right circumstances? Well, it can register, I think, if you do the validation first. It's like, number one, calm down the brainstem. Just, you know, make them a sandwich or, or give them five minutes, but number one, calm them down. Number two, validate their emotions. Reflect back what emotion they're feeling so they feel listened to. And then number three, you can go into problem solving. 
um, it's not nagging then because you've done steps one and two. But if you just go straight to number three, that just sounds like nagging and they switch off. Um, I think in that situation, you've got to actively teach the child some strategies for how they're going to calm down before they lose it. And that's so getting them at a time when they're calm um, and saying, well, here's some strategies. I mean, there's a thing in the literature that comes across quite strong called 646, which is breathing in on the count of six and breathing out on the count of four and breathing in on the count of six and out on the count of four. If you do that for two minutes, it calms your whole HPA axis. The, that's the highway of stress in your body, the hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal glands. They... And it activates the vagus nerve. Um, but that breathing, um, 646, for two minutes will completely calm all of that. Um, but when someone's stressed out, getting them to stop and do controlled breathing is, you know, not the easiest thing in the world. Um, sometimes it's about looking at the big picture with those kids. And if they're having emotional outbursts, you know, what's their lifestyle like? Are they eating lots of sugar? You know, we know the four things that really um, reduce your brain's ability to cope is caffeine, alcohol, tobacco and sugar. So look at uh, how much of those are in, the, in their diet. Um, look at things like exercise. Teenagers that aren't moving, um, you know, it's not natural for human beings not to move and to be sedentary. So you've got a, your brain sort of reliant on all those um, hormones and stuff and a lot of that comes just from movement. You don't have to join, you know, run a marathon. Um, the, the literature actually talks about this thing called the letterbox effect where just walking to the letterbox to check the mail and walking back releases enough endorphins into your brain to change your perspective. So I think if you've got a teenager that's acting out like that then you can control a lot of those things. You know, just simply make them walk home from school instead of picking them up. There you go. There was 20 minutes exercise. You'll get a screaming match, for, but, but it's been worth it the other end. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's the difference between boys and girls in this stage of development? Um, well, you know, the, the gender is playing a role, um, and they act out in different ways because they have different surges of different hormones. Boys are getting pumped up with testosterone, and girls are getting pumped up with estrogen, and they bring about different behaviours. But it still means that they deviate from their normal behaviour. They kind of go back to the way they behaved at two, where it's still their temperament behind it, but... Um, but their behaviour is much less considerate of others and stuff. We've talked a lot about the outbursts and the over-verbalising of feelings. Mm-hmm. What about the reverse when you're getting silent treatment? Or, or, or when it's not even the yeah. silent treatment, which is another form of, you know, I'm punishing you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's more you feel like you're not, there's just no communication here. Yeah, there's just no connecting, yep. Um, yeah, I mean, that could be normal, you know, that they shut down a bit. It's, it's not so much important that they have to talk to you, just that they have to talk to someone. And we often say in, like, trauma and counselling fields that just getting it outside of your head, you're 90% of the way there. You know, it's the kids and the majority of people that are going to have problems with anxiety and depression are people that kept it inside their head. Because just the process of saying it out loud it makes you have to put into what they call a coherent life story. It has to be coherent to say it out loud. Whereas in your head it can all be swimming around and seem coherent to you, but when you say it all out loud it's incoherent. And that's often at the base of most you know, um, mental unwellness. So just, say, just getting it out of your head. That's the number one thing. So any way that parents can find to do that, and if it's working, do it. It doesn't have to be the parents. They've got a favourite auntie, their grandparents. As long as they are talking to someone, um, then that's, you know, that's the main thing. What do you do with siblings who are as confused by this sudden kind of monstrous change as, yeah. and maybe on the receiving end of a bit of it? How do you talk to them? Yeah, that's interesting. I've got those memories of my, you know, younger kids looking at their older teenager and going, oh my God, I'm never going to do that. And then, you know, two years later, they're doing exactly the same thing. Um, So with my younger kids, I think I would just, you know, again, validate it. I would just say, 
Yeah, well, she's feeling very emotional at the time and she's, you know, I'll try and say something positive. Yeah. She's getting better and better at uh, learning to regulate that. But, yeah, it's a hard time, adolescence. Yeah. And mm. how long can be the range? Some was through and some still going in their 40s. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I mean, it does the... It doesn't... Yeah, there is a huge variance like that. You know, whether it's a firstborn girl, she's probably done it quite early and has an adult brain by 18. If it's a boy who's not the firstborn, he doesn't really have an adult brain to 32, so he can still be acting quite like an adolescent at 26, 27. Um, but it's not just, you know, your gender. There's so many other factors that come into it. But, yeah, you often don't have an adult brain until you're 32. And if you're doing drugs and alcohol and dealing with addiction, you can actually, you know, like you say, it can go right into your 40s, 50s. I mean, the brain's always trying to grow. So even the people, you know, trying to drown out and kill their frontal cortex with drugs and alcohol, it's still trying to grow in the background. You still see progress. OK, just a couple of quickies, if you would. My yep. nearly 18-year-old, always a lovely, popular, confident kid, has been lonely and searching for new friends, but has gone all shy, insecure, unconfident and privately unhappy in recent months. Had a hardcore group of mates, but he's a year younger and has drifted from his mates since summer because they're not because they're into drinking drugs, cars and have girlfriends, etc. Just started uni, looking forward to new start and people but it's a lot of work and no socialising so far. I'm worried for him. Should I be? Or write it off to teen angst. I don't want to miss any warning signs. Oh, that's a really good question. I think lots of parents face that same situation too. Um, I mean, I'm tending on the side where the child's in a whole new situation, so I think it's fairly normal. It's like that thing where kids are most creative once they get bored. He's probably going to really brush up on all his social skills now and actively work out ways of meeting other people and starting new relationships because he's in the situation where he has to. I think as long as she remains in contact with him, and validates that stuff and says that, you know, it's normal that way. And then when he feels listened to, she can offer strategies for him for how he can get out and meet people, you know, in a meaningful way. Because there's lots of ways that young people can meet other people. Um, there's lots of apps for it now as well. Listening again. And just finally, we touched on this earlier, what happens if schooling is affected by the lack of focus? 16-year-old boy, NCEA doesn't make allowances for three years of shutdown. Hmm. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. You know, we only found out the brain shut down about 15 years ago. We invented, you know, exams 100 years ago. So that doesn't match up very well. OK, mm. thank you for the uh, observation. There's a couple more coming, but unfortunately they've just landed right at the end. We'll save them for next time. Thank you okay. very much. Nathan Wallace.